Great stuff. Well, as Ryan said, we're carrying on in our series, looking at the fruits of the Spirit. It's been a bit quirky, hasn't it? It hasn't been the same series that maybe we expected. Uh, diving straight into the fruit of the Spirit that we see. Uh, Carol shall pop her up for us there from Galatians 5, uh, chapter 20, uh, chapter 22, chapter 5, uh, verse 22 and 23. And we've been looking, starting uh, last week in a bit more detail at these these nine characteristics of godliness. We're not going to be in Galatians this afternoon. We're going to be in Titus, just to keep you on your toes. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 4 to 8. Ryan kicked us off looking in more detail. The first three, love, joy, and peace. Last week, I'm going to be taking us through patience, goodness, and kindness. So I'm going to read Titus 3, verses 4 to 8. Uh, you can either follow in your Bibles or it's going to be up on the screen behind me there. Let me read. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let me just pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. We thank you that because it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that we can, we can be sure that you will do a work in us. So we pray that you would change us, transform us, make us more like your son. By the power of your spirit, through your word, we pray. And it's in his name that we ask. Amen. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we were down in London for just a few days with the kids. And on the kids' wish list of things to see was platform nine and three quarters, which to some of you is like, what on earth is that? If you're initiated in Harry Potter, you know exactly what that is. Platform nine and three quarters is a platform in between platform nine and ten, obviously, about three quarters of the way through. It's a fictional platform, but it features in the films. And you can actually go and visit it in King's Cross Station. So we went to King's Cross and... Uh, we visited, they have a bit of a plaque on the wall, and next to the plaque, you can uh, kind of queue up if you want and get your photo taken for an extortionate amount of money uh, behind a plaque, or you can just go to the side and get a selfie with a plaque behind you if you position yourself carefully, which is what we did. And then next to the plaque is a shop, and uh, I mean, if you're into Harry Potter stuff, this is, this is like walking into dreamland, and our two kids, uh, only the first three, mind, we're not, we're not kind of bold enough to give them... Uh, to put him onto the fourth film yet, yeah, Johnny, please take notes. Johnny was trying to initiate them yesterday when, they were ba- when he was babysitting. Uh, but they love Harry Potter, so we took them into the shop. And uh, the shop was maybe, I don't know, the size of this room. And there must have been a few hundred people in there. Like, it was crazy. Like, it was bumper to bumper. And everyone's trying to squeeze through these aisles. And because I'm quite wise like this, I said to Elizabeth, listen, I'll stand in the queue because the queue was massive, it was snaking all around. You get what you're going to get. I think Ruthie was on the hunt for Gryffindor mittens, of course. So they're on the hunt for Gryffindor mittens. I'm standing in the queue, and the queue's moving forward. 
slowly and it's it's like literally like skin to skin in the in the queue there's a guy in front of me I'm pressed up against him the guy behind me is pressed up against me and I'm just standing moving forward watching what's going on and then all of a sudden I, I feel something on my back and we're in the backpack as we're traipsing around London and I can feel something pulling on my back and I realise what's going on someone's trying to pickpocket me so I turn around and there's a small looking, uh, not very friendly guy behind me. And I look at my bag and sure enough, the zip on the bag is halfway undone. So I said to him, I think you've just been going to me back. <laughs> and of course he's defensive. No, nah, mate, nah, I'm, just, I'm just queuing up for uh, queuing up to get something. And I knew that he was trying to get in there. I knew it was him, I wasn't mistaken. So I, I kind of raised my voice, not because I was particularly angry at the time. I wanted to attract a bit of attention so other people could see what was going on. Hopefully the security guard will come over. He was useless. He just stood there and did nothing. So I'm raising my voice and we're having this kind of argument. He's insistent. He hasn't done anything. I'm insistent. He's been in my bag trying to take stuff. And then in a moment of genius, because he's in the queue, I say, okay, well, if you're in the queue, what are you buying? Show me what you've got. And of course he had nothing. Thought I had in there. So he turns around and just walks out the shop. Now I'm not having this. So I give Elizabeth the bag. And I walk after him, and I come out, and I'm thinking, okay, what am I actually going to do? Like, I can't prove that he's done anything. So I proceeded for five minutes to follow him around King's Cross Station, incognito, like, hoping he wouldn't see me. And then I managed to get one of the, the security guys from uh, the train people, and he's following me with him. And we wanted to get a photo of the guy, and he passed it on to the police. But I was, I was kind of, right, I was... I was up for it at that moment, so let's just say that. Like, my, my blood pressure had been, been kind of rising, and, and just the, the fact that someone... I mean, if you've, been, if you've been kind of on the end of a robbery before, you know what it feels like. Like, someone invading your space, someone going into your property, taking something that is yours. And I wasn't sure that he'd taken anything. Until later on in the afternoon, we're sitting outside a charity shop, Elizabeth's doing her thing, I'm sitting there with the kids, and I think Micah had seen something that he wanted. And he went into the bag and got out his wallet. It's a Star Wars wallet, a kid's Star Wars wallet. Adults don't have Star Wars memorabilia. Kids have Star Wars memorabilia. <laughs> um, so I get out of the Star Wars wallet. It's £12.50. You've got a hard time on the front row there, baby. So, uh, the Star Wars wallet had £12.50 in it. Micah's money. And we go in the wallet and there's nothing in there. Now I'm concluding, okay, these guys are clever. He's gone into my bag and he's seen the wallet and he's taken my son's money out of his wallet. Now, at that moment, I'm angry. Now, if you want to know what angry Neil looks like, I'll be honest, it looks like this. <laughs> but inside, inside, there's a tornado going off, there's, there's grenades, there's, I, I am angry. But someone would go into my bag and take my little boy's money and so all the way home, three and a half hours drive home, Elizabeth will tell you, I hardly said a word. Because all I was, was thinking about was what I would do to that man if I, if I hadn't let him go, if I'd have known that he'd taken something from me. Anyway, we got home and I was still kind of fuming a little bit. So we had a bit of a family meeting. I got the kids together and, and we, we talked to God. We do that every night. We come together and we talk to God and... And we just spent a few moments just reflecting on what happened. And we, we said to God, we forgive this man. Um, I was sorry that he's had to 
to go so low to take something from a, a little child. So we forgive him and we pray that you would forgive him. And we carried on for the next few days talking to God about this man. Now at the same time, I'm preparing uh, to speak to you guys this afternoon. I'm preparing for this sermon. So my head's in Galatians 5, 23. It's in Titus 3. I'm reading through commentaries. I'm praying. I'm listening to, to different people's perspectives on the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm reading this passage in particular that we just read from Titus 3. And I read it, and I put my Bible down, and immediately I could feel the Holy Spirit nudge me. And he was taking me back to platform nine and three quarters, and taking me back to that guy in particular, the thief. And I'm reading Titus 3, verse 3, and that description that we've just read there of, of sinful man. And I'm thinking about this thief. I can feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Like, guys, you know, sometimes when we, when we talk to God, sometimes he talks back. Like, we know that's how it works. And I could hear him through his words saying, Neil, you know the way that thief treated you? That didn't come close to how you've treated your Heavenly Father. You were a thief, you were a liar, you were arrogant, you were proud, you were selfish, you were a sinful sinner stained by sin. You turned your back on God. You skulked around in the darkness, indulging in disgraceful and dark sin. You broke his law, you mocked him, you lied to him. And all of those things that you just read from Titus 3 verse 3, that was you. You were a disobedient fool. You were deceived. You were enslaved. You were full of malice, full of envy, and full of hate. And I felt as I read that, and I thought of platform nine and three quarters, and thought of that thief, and then read God's word here, and heard his Holy Spirit. I felt my eyes being opened to see that that thief's sin against me was just a drop in the ocean compared to my sin against my Heavenly Father. My sins are many. And God has got every right to be angry at me. And yet he isn't. What did we just read in verse 4? After hearing about how depraved we were, we read this. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. That doesn't feel right to me. When I think of how rebellious I've been against God, when I think of how sinful I've been, when I think of me being so much worse than the thief when stood against God, like that doesn't feel right to me, but it is. When the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved me. And I just want to just slow down just and just focus on that verse just for a few moments. Like literally word, word for word, not the whole verse, but just see those two there, but when. But is one of those words that we come across in the Bible and, and more often than not is one of these beautiful words that, that, that talks about a transition. It talks about, about something being taken from, from darkness to light, from death to life. But is one of those glorious words in God's word that signals a change. 
It's telling you that what you're about to read next, it shouldn't really be there, but it is. So there's but and then there's when. When is a word that relates to time. We know that it's telling us about something that has been allowed to to pass. So change is coming. We see the but, but something has been allowed to happen. And in the context of the passage we've just read, what is that? It's our rebellion against God. It's our season of wanting sin in our lives. God has allowed that to happen without, without exterminating us, without burning us up. He has every right to do that. God should be angry at our sin. He has every right in a, in a moment, in an instant, as soon as we sin, just to do away with us. But he doesn't. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And you know what should come next? In verse 4, you know what should come next? And so God poured out his wrath and just, and just did away with us. That's what should come next. But it doesn't. When the goodness and loving kindness of our Saviour appeared, he saved us. And that is because God is mercifully patient with sinners. God is mercifully patient with sinners. You see that all the way through Scripture. Like go all the way back to, to the garden, Genesis. God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he, just, he says, okay, you can have whatever you want. Like take from, from the fruit of any tree you want except for this tree. Don't take from the fruit from this tree, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't take from the fruit of that tree or you will surely die. In Genesis chapter three, what do we see? Adam and Eve take fruit from the tree and they eat it. And, and do they die? Adam lives for another 930 years. God is mercifully patient with sinners. A few chapters on, as you get to the story of Noah, you see God look out across humanity and he sees the sinfulness of man and increasing corruption. He says, I'm going to bring a flood in an act of judgment, but not before a season of patience. He sends a preacher, Noah, And Noah's message is a message of judgment. And it's a message of repentance. Judgment is coming. But turn away from your sin and come to God. Like God is so merciful. God is so patient. He warns sinners before the flood comes. And do you know how long Noah preached that message for? 120 years. Because God is merciful towards sinners. Mercifully patient towards sinners. You know where I love it? We'll go to the Psalms and listen to the Psalmist. Like they're just so like honest in, in their angst and, and, and just in what they see. Like you see in, in quite a few of the Psalms, the Psalmist looks out and sees the wickedness of man and, and evil people working against God. And, and the Psalmist is like, God, can you not see what I see? Are you just going to stand there and do nothing? Surely you need to act against this. Surely you need to pour out your judgment. God waits because he is mercifully patient with sinners. But when? Folks, there was a time, and maybe you're still there now, where every thought, every word, and every deed was lived out in rebellion to God. And he has every right to remove you in an instant. But he hasn't. 
because he is mercifully patient with sinners. And he is mercifully kind. See, God's patience with sinners isn't, isn't kind of eternal. It has to come to an end. He has to punish sin, otherwise he wouldn't be a just God. But instead of pouring out his anger on me, he is mercifully kind. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Like, just think about, about what patience is. Patience is a posture. It's a posture of restraint towards someone that we think is in the wrong or, or it's a refusal to treat someone like, like we think they really deserve. So just think about how we use it. Think about a parent with those type of children and like that, that phrase that we hear all the time, my patience is wearing thin. Like we've heard that, yeah? Yeah, I'm coming to the end of my patience. Don't test my patience. Or think about that driver, like the one we all know who in the middle of a traffic jam is just like, a, no, not that one. This one, the one who's a saint who's got classic FM cranked up and like everyone else is losing their heads. But this guy is like, you can do whatever you, it's me. I'll be honest, I'm talking about myself. You, you all or the other people are losing your heads. But there is those kind of people aren't they, who are just like a picture of patience in the middle of turmoil. And we look at it and we think, that's strange. Like the parents whose kids are just wild and they're just patient with them constantly. We look at it and we think, it's strange. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, feel like the natural reaction. We're surprised when we see it. Well, if patience is the surprising posture of restraint towards those in wrong, then goodness and kindness are the surprising actions towards those who are in the wrong. Patience is the posture and goodness and kindness are are the actions towards those who are in the wrong. And just so we're clear, the goodness that we're talking about here in Titus 3 and the goodness that's talked about in Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, it's not... It's not like a moral type of goodness. We're not talking about the righteousness that comes from God, that God's people are clothed in. We're talking about good deeds, good actions. That's what we're talking about. It is the bridge between patience and kindness. Patience is the posture. Kindness is the demonstration. And the good action is done, is done to kind of bridge those two things between the posture and the actual doing of the thing. These are surprising characteristics especially when they are shown towards people who don't deserve it. But that's the gospel. That's what we see in Titus 3. Surprising characteristics being engaged in towards us. I lived in rebellion to God. If you're a believer, you once lived in rebellion to God. God hasn't treated me like my sin deserved. God didn't pour out his anger on me. He was patient with me. And he waited for me. And in an act of loving kindness, he sent his son to save me. And all of the righteous and pure and just anger of my creator God that should be coming towards me, should be poured out on me, was instead poured out on his perfect, righteous and blameless and lovely son, Jesus, who died the death that I should have died. The cruelest and the darkest of deaths for a dirty Selfish sinner. They are characteristics that surprise us. And so they should. But God's goodness towards us doesn't end there. Look at verse 5 to 7 in Titus 3. 
He saves us, but then he washes us and then renews us and then fills us with his spirit. He justifies us. That means he makes us right before God. He lavished his grace. I love that word. He lavished his grace on us. He gave me eternal life. Like I deserve eternal death, but I get eternal life. Like why would he do that? Why would he engage in a, in a sinful sinner like me in such a way to take me from eternal death, which I deserve, to take me from a place where God's anger should be being poured out on me to a place where I am free from that and I am receiving eternal life? Why would he do that? Because he loves me. See that word in verse 4? Loving kindness. It's two words in English. It's one word in the original language. Philanthropia. There you go, all you Greek buffs, there's one for you. Philanthropia, it's one word, which is where we get our word philanthropy or philanthropist. If you don't know what a philanthropist is, it's a hard word. I'm going to stumble over it. That's what it is for a start, it's a hard word. A philanthropist is someone who has lots of money and they like to give it away. Like they give it away to charitable causes for, for nothing really in return. So think about Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey, people like that, philanthropists. It's interesting, when you listen to, to these people being interviewed and being asked, you know, why do you do it? Like last year, they gave away over $100 billion, right? Why would you do that? And, and invariably, this is what they say. We want to do good. We give it away because we want to do good. We want to cure cancer. We want to get rid of these different diseases. We want to do good. Every now and again, like if you have a little read, you'll find one who's actually honest. <laughs> and they are trying to do good, but some of them also go the full length of saying, do you know what? I want to do good, but also it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good to give away. And if you find a really honest one, they'll tell you that it makes them look good as well. None of them, if you ask them, would say this. I'm giving away because I love these people. I'm giving my billions away because I love humanity. God, the cosmic philanthropist, gives all that he holds to you. His son. The riches of heaven in his son. And he gives them away. Not to do good. Not to feel good. Not to look good. But because he loves me. Verse 5. Jesus died for selfish sinners not because we'd done anything to deserve it. He died for us because of his mercy. Mercy that is motivated by his love. God's patience God's goodness, God's kindness that we see in the giving of his son, Jesus. That comes to me because he loves me. And it continues to come to me. Like verse 3 is a picture of the sinful life before God saves us. But it's not like, it's not like I'm saved and then automatically I'm a good person and I'm sinless. No, I sin every day. And God's mercy is shown to me every day. It comes towards me every day. Every day I think and I speak and I act in ways that should provoke the anger of God towards me. Folks, I have lived in ways this week that should have an avalanche of God's wrath coming towards me. But there isn't. 
loves me. And some of us need to hear that afresh this afternoon. I'm sure that there is some dark and wicked sin in this room. And there is a God who loves you. And if you have faith to put uh, your faith, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, then no matter what you've done this week, God patiently meets you with his goodness and kindness. And hear this. He isn't angry at you. He isn't angry at you. He can't be. Because all of his anger has already been poured out on his son. Because he loves you. That is good news, folks. And here, listen, I could sit in that good news all day. But that actually isn't the response that Jesus wants for us. When we're confronted with the beauty of the gospel, we should celebrate that. We should hear that as good news. But we don't just stop there. Look at verse 8, what we read. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. So he's talking about the the beauty, the truth of the gospel. Insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. If you have received the patience and goodness and kindness of God, the right response is then to devote yourself to what is good. Don't just sit there and bask in the gospel. Do something. Be patient. Be kind. Be good. When someone confronts you this week and they are testing you and they are pushing you to your limits, be patient. When you come across someone and you know they're not deserving of your kindness, be kind. Be good. And you can do that because the Spirit of God dwells in you. It is His patience. It is His goodness. It is His kindness. He has poured those things into you so you can pour those things into others. And listen, folks, if you're a believer, you will. Because if you, like Jesus, are filled with His love, that can't help but overflow. And it is the love of God, folks, that fuels a godly patience, a godly goodness. And a godly kindness in us. It's a little bit like, have you ever seen the, like the poor soul who's at a petrol station, who's done what we always fear we will never do? You know where we're going. He's filled up his diesel car with petrol. I think that's the way around. You can only do it one way, can't you? You'll know that, Ian. It's diesel. It's petrol into diesel. Yeah, there we go. There he is. Sorry, Ian. Sorry for your loss. We've seen him. Or some of us have been there. It's a terrible like, experience, even just watching it. And he's sitting there waiting for the guy to come. It's the sitting of shame. We all know what's happened. And the guy's got to come and fix him, pump out the wrong fuel. He's put the wrong fuel in. Folks, God's love in us is the fuel for a life of godliness. It's the vehicle through which our patience, our goodness, and our kindness are dispensed. And so in those moments when anger spills out, when impatience spills out, that is a good sign that we filled up with the wrong stuff. We haven't filled ourselves up that day with the love of God. We filled up with something else. Like I experienced this a few weeks, weeks ago, just at the back there. And some of you like experienced it as well. It had been a long weekend. I'd struggled through the sermon. And the boys were just bombing around. Some of you remember this. Micah, Gideon, Titus, Nehemiah. They were just bobbing around and I was stood out the back trying to 
have a, a conversation with some of the guys, having a nice cup of coffee, and uh, they bombed out through those doors, and they were rattling around in the foyer, and they were, they were behind some of the screens, and I could see these screens wobbling, and I'm like looking, I'm trying to have this conversation, and they're just about to go, and I screamed out to them, boy, stop! And they stopped, and they looked at me. Everyone else in here stopped, remember it? <laughs> Everyone went quiet. Everyone in there went quiet, and these boys looked at me, full of terror and full of shame. That evening, we spent a bit of time talking to God with the kids as we do. And I got alongside Mike and I said, Mike, I'm sorry. Now listen, they were in the wrong, those boys. But from what I did see, that wasn't right. I never wanted to be scared. I never wanted to be embarrassed. Not from me. I shouldn't have done that. You forgive me? And he did. And then the cock boys came round during the week. I sat them all down, all four of them on the couch. I said, boys, I need to have a chat. What I did on Sunday, that wasn't right. Jesus wouldn't have done that. I never want you to feel shame. I never want you to feel fear when you're around me. I'm sorry. You forgive me. And the boys thought it was hilarious. Uncle Neil apologising to me. They thought it was so funny. It was the right thing to do. And here's the point. I treated them in a way that didn't flow from the love of God. I treated them with a harshness and an impatience that they're going to get used to out there. That they should never experience in here. Folks, we should be concerned when we see someone who says that they are a Christian consistently acting with impatience or unkindness. And I say consistently then, because even the most mature Christian, like, this is a journey of growth. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that we grow in. So we will stumble. We will fail sometimes. But when we see a consistent pattern of impatience and unkindness and someone that says that they're a Christian, hello there. Folks, that should concern us. Let me tell you this. An impatient and unkind Christian is one of the most ugliest things that you can see. And I've seen it. I know some of you have been on the receiving end of it and it's ugly. And when I see it, it makes me think, are they filled up with the right stuff? Are they filled with the love of God? Because if they were, they wouldn't act like that. So folks, as we wrap things up here, here's what we're not going to do. I'm not going to give you 12 steps to being patient, being good and being kind. Because actually, those things are just going to naturally flow out of us if we're filled with the love of God. So here's where I want to encourage us instead. If we want to grow in godly patience and godly goodness and godly kindness, fill your heart with the love of God. Fill your heart with the right stuff. What's that going to look like? Well, it looks like listening to his voice in his word. It looks like looking to his cross and it looks like walking by the Spirit. Listen to his voice in here. Like when you hear truths like we've just read in Titus 3, that the wrath of God, the anger of God should be, should be coming towards you. 
That God should just just burn you up in an instant, but he doesn't. Because in his loving kindness, God has appeared. He has saved us. When you read truths like that, like it can't help but fill your heart with love. So listen to his voice and hear. Look to the cross. When you feel anger building up, when you feel impatience building up, look to the cross. Look to the cross and remember our Saviour Jesus. Remember the patience of God towards sinners. And remember the mercy of God in sending his son to take the anger that is due to us away. Look to the cross. Remember his mercy. Remember his love and kindness and fill your heart with his love. And then walk by the Spirit. We've seen already that walking by the Spirit means walking away from sin. So if you have an issue with anger, if you have an issue with impatience, walk away from that. Put it to death. It looks like walking away from sin, but it also looks like walking into righteousness. Walking into increasing godliness. So this week, can I encourage you? Look for opportunities. Look for opportunities to be patient. When you're being tested, when it looks like you should just bubble over and be angry in that moment, surprise that person. And be patient, like God is patient towards you. Look for opportunities to be kind. We will engage with so many people this week who will prove in their attitude for them to be unworthy of anything from us. Surprise them. Be kind towards them. Just like the kindness from Christ is so surprising towards us and isn't what we deserve. As we have been shown God's glory, show that glory to the world around us. And be kind. Folks, let us this week ask the Spirit to fill us. And specifically to fill us with his love. And as he does... Let's take joy as we watch him bear his fruit of patience, goodness, and kindness to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God of hope. We recognise that without you we are dead in our sin and we are rightfully under your judgement. We thank you for the right time you sent your son to die our death and to give us his life. And we thank you, Father, that you are a patient God. Like more than anyone, you have the right to be angry with us. But for your people here this afternoon, we thank you that there is no anger. Just loving kindness. So help us, Father, help us to hear your voice. Help us to look to the cross of your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as we do, fill us with your love so we can walk away from anger, walk away from impatience, walk away from hate and walk after your Spirit. And as we do, that we would bear his beautiful fruit of patience, goodness and kindness. 
As we do that now, Father, as we respond in song, as we take this meal together, point us to Jesus. Point us to the cross. And stir our affections for your Son and our Saviour. It's in his name that we pray.